Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this person who came, this Egyptian steward, he speaks with such an assurance. He speaks with such an personal knowledge. He speaks with such a confidence. Only one way he could have that personal knowledge, only one way he could have that confidence and that assurance, he had within him the God of their fathers. He had within him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why did he have within him this Egyptian steward, this Gentile? Why did he have within him? Why did he personally know this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because Joseph had won this Egyptian to the Lord Jesus Christ, known at that time as Jehovah. He had won this Egyptian Gentile to Jehovah Jesus. Just like it says in Proverbs 11:30, he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. You see what Joseph did there in Egypt? He said, I've been planted here by God. I was sold into surgery. You see what he was talking, the language. They were both talking the same language. What did that Egyptian steward say to those people? He said, God gave you that treasure. He said, but I also gave you, put it into your sack. But God gave it to you. How did Egyptian steward possibly come to this mind frame of seeing that there are no second causes and that what actually happened was by God? Because the one who taught him, Joseph, sat down with him. And in great love said, I was sold into Egypt. No, God sent me into Egypt that way. I was put into a dungeon. No, God put me into that dungeon. I was exalted because of, no, God exalted me. See, he taught him, no second causes. And he taught him through the history of his life. And so when Joseph came into Egypt, he said, I'm here in Egypt, but you know what I'm going to be in Egypt? I'm going to be a tree planted. And I'm going to be a tree that's going to have fruit on it. I'm going to become the reality of Proverbs 11.30. I will be the righteous, and the fruit that I will have on my tree will be a tree of life, so that whoever eats the fruit of what I'm telling them, they will live forever. He brought them into eternal life because he was a, a tree Joseph was, and the fruit of his tree was life. It was a tree of life. And when people ate that fruit, and he encouraged them to by learning about Jehovah Jesus, Joseph became the winner of souls. That's what it means in Proverbs 11.30 and how it applies to Joseph. The fruit of the righteous. He was a tree planted in Egypt, and by golly, he was going to make sure that everyone who came to him was going to live forever and as he did this, he won souls. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. He that wins souls is wise. Joseph was the person. And we see this Egyptian steward and we're amazed. And we realize, had it not been for Joseph, this Egyptian steward wouldn't have had God. And he wouldn't have talked like this. But Joseph was there. And Joseph was the person who was responsible 
for translating this Egyptian from the power of Egyptian idolatry and the demons and Satan behind the Egyptian idols. And Joseph was the person who was responsible for translating this poor, lost Egyptian steward from the power of Egyptian idolatry or the power of Satan was all around him. And Joseph was the one responsible for translating him into the kingdom of Jehovah Jesus, just like it says in Colossians 1.13, who hath translated us from the power of darkness, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's this Egyptian steward. He's been delivered from the power of darkness. He's been translated in the kingdom of God's dear son. What we see in this Egyptian steward is some of Joseph's fruit in the land of Egypt. That's so interesting for us. What we see in this Egyptian steward is insight into what Joseph was doing in Egypt. We thought Joseph was just there to organize the building of these barns and go out throughout the whole land and collect this harvest and collect that harvest and to store it all and to put storekeepers there with each of the barns. And then when the grains were all collected, when the time came for the drought, those uh, storekeepers under the direction of Joseph should then sell the grain to Egypt and buy the things of Egypt, the possessions, and buy even the people and buy the land and turn it all over to Pharaoh. That was a huge job, gigantic job. We thought Joseph was just doing that. Oh, no. Oh, no. That would have been selling out too cheap as far as Joseph was concerned. Joseph had a much higher job, a much higher calling than that. He wasn't just collecting a harvest from the physical land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Joseph was busy collecting a harvest of Egyptian souls for God. Joseph was like it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was busy about his father's business. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he was 12 years old. And he was sitting with the people in the synagogue and questioning and answering their questions. And his parents were so frustrated and worried because they had lost him for a couple of days and they found him. And his mother said, why weren't you with us? We've been worried. And he said, know you not that I must be about my father's business. And if we would go to Joseph and say, Joseph, you have so much, somebody could have said to him, so much to do, so much responsibility, the whole land of Egypt. Joseph, why are you sitting and talking to this Egyptian and that Egyptian and this group of Egyptians and that group? Isn't it enough that you just should really be all consumed with this job of the barn building and the collection of the grain and the selling of the grain and the accounting and so forth so much? And Joseph would have replied, know you not that I must be about my father's business? And in this Egyptian steward, we see that Joseph was about his father's business. He was there collecting Egyptian souls for God. Joseph was not just lifting up his eyes and looking on the fields of Egyptian grain that were white already unto harvest. Joseph was lifting up his eyes higher and looking on the fields of Egyptian souls that were white already to harvest just like the Lord Jesus Christ taught in John 4, 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Then we see this remarkable statement by the Egyptian steward to the brothers. 
And he says, God hath given you treasure in your sacks. It was this Egyptian steward who had returned the treasures to their sacks as he told them also. But he said that kind of like in a parenthesis. Because first he said, God hath given you treasure in your sacks. Then he said, I had your money in the sacks. Now he wasn't saying he was God. He was saying, I was used by God. He was directing. He was doing just what Joseph had done. Joseph had trained him to look to God. And then he not only looks to God, this Egyptian steward, he turns around and trains others to look to God, which is what he's doing here. Joseph's story, his history is so amazing. It's a story like, how in the world did you possibly survive that, Joseph? And Joseph would say, because of God, because of God, because of God, because God sent me, because God told me, because I knew, I knew. God didn't put me there for no reason. And as he explained this about his life, the Egyptian steward sat there and he listened. He said, I've got it, I've got it. That's true in my life too. It's true in my life. And you know what? I'm going to be a teacher of that also. I'm going to be a teacher of that also. So even though the Egyptian steward had returned the treasure into their sacks, the Egyptian steward did not take credit for that. He didn't come up to the brothers and say, you know, I just want you to know, uh, you're looking at the one here who you need to thank for the treasure in your sack. It's all about me. I'm the one who did it all. Not at all. Not this Egyptian steward. Oh, no. This Egyptian steward had been taught the truth of Psalm 115.1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. What we see in this Egyptian doing here is showing forth the praises of his Savior, just like it says in 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, by telling Joseph's brothers that their God had put the treasure into their sacks, this Egyptian steward was showing that he was a part of that chosen generation, that he was a part of that royal priesthood, that he was a part of that holy nation, that he was a part of that peculiar people. Why? Because this Egyptian steward was showing forth the praises of him who had called him personally out of the darkness of Egyptian idolatry into God's marvelous light. And there's one person, there's one person who was responsible for this Egyptian steward to be a part of the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, a peculiar people, the one showing forth the praises of him who called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that person was Joseph. That person was Joseph. In the response of this Egyptian, we see that Joseph not only worked to save Egypt, Egypt and the Egyptians from the physical first death, but Joseph was very busy working to save Egyptians from the eternal second death or hell. And we will meet many Egyptians in heaven because of one man, Joseph. The man who was sold into slavery into Egypt. And we're going to meet many, many Egyptians in heaven who owe their salvation to the man who did not get bitter because he was sold into slavery in Egypt, but who the man who saw higher than his brother's actions and realized God sent me here because God has many people to save in Egypt. And I will be that man. I will be God's man. I don't care if I'm brought in in a limousine or sold into the hand of the Midianites. It doesn't matter.
because God sent me here and he's got a purpose and God is a God of life and I'm going to be that tree of life and I'm going to win souls to life. What a challenge that is for us to dare to be a Joseph, dare to be a Joseph, dare to say I am in the place where God has put me because God wants to use me in this place. Dare to do that. Joseph did. Challenge to us. It's a challenge to be like Joseph. Look at his fruit. Egypt, the country of Egypt, was actually at its highest point in history when the Hebrew Joseph ruled over Egypt. That was their greatest moment. That was the greatest time in their history. Why? Because many Egyptians during that time were saved from hell because of a Hebrew named Joseph. And through Joseph, Jehovah Jesus built his church with the addition of Egyptians, just as he told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a treasure Joseph really did bring to Egypt. The Hebrew, Joseph the Hebrew, he brought to Egypt far more valuables, far more riches to Egypt than the collection of their grain. That's why verse 11 in Exodus 1 is so ironic. It says there, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Had it not been for Joseph, the Hebrew, there would be no physical treasures in Egypt to build treasure cities for. But Joseph, because he saved the country of Egypt from the physical destruction, there were treasures. But far more important than that, had it not been for Joseph the Hebrew, there would have been no treasure in Egypt of knowing the only true and living God, Jehovah Jesus. Never had it not been for Joseph. But just as that verse speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ building his church when he said that I will build my church, and it says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, it shows us that the gates of hell are a very real factor when it comes to the promotion of the Lord Jesus Christ or the building of his church. And the gates of hell were not unresponsive to the great harvest of Joseph's day. The gates of hell wanted to block Egyptians from going through the gates of heaven. So in verse 8 of Exodus 1, when it says, And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, we understand the gates of hell are active. And the tragedy of that statement is the unwritten consequence of the verse. Because really the verse could go on because it has an unwritten consequence or continuation of that verse. Because that new king in Egypt knew not Joseph, that new king over Egypt knew not the God of Joseph. And because that new king over Egypt knew not the God of Joseph, that new king over Egypt knew not light in his soul. He knew not forgiveness of his sins. He knew not freedom from the power of Satan and liberty in Jehovah Jesus. He knew not peace and safety in knowing his soul's future. 
that his future, by the grace of God, he didn't know his future could be diverted by God from hell to heaven. He didn't know any of that. The new not consequences of verse 8 go much farther than just the new not Joseph. In reality, this king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, was a traitor to his own people. A traitor to his own people. Because the greatest accomplishment for any king is to lead his people to Jehovah Jesus. That's the greatest accomplishment, to go down in history as the king who made his country great. The king who exalted his nation. The king who turned away reproach from his people. The king who brought his people to God. That was Joseph. That was not this king who knew not Joseph. Because Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And hail to the king who exalts his nation by bringing them into a covering of the righteousness of Jehovah Jesus. That's the righteousness that exalts a nation. And hail to the king who turns, who makes his people turn away from sin, especially the sin of idolatry, and thereby turns the reproach of God away from his people. And hail to the king who does that. But this king, no. This king knew not Joseph, knew not the God of Joseph, and turned his people more to idolatry. And this king, instead of bringing righteousness to exalt his nation, brought in sin to be a reproach to his people. And the tragedy, the tragedy of this was that it was all not necessary. It didn't have to happen. How do we know? Because this king followed Joseph. This king had the pattern of Joseph, but he knew not Joseph. And maybe kings before him expunged the history and made it so it could be this way. But this king could have known Joseph because the knowledge of Joseph was with the people of Joseph. And even though the history was not on the murals of the walls taken off, even though the history was not in the hieroglyphic writings, the history was with the people of God. The history was with the Jewish people. The history was there, and Moses wrote about it. And how did Moses know? Because the people told him, and it was re revealed to him by God. He could have known. He could have sought with all of his heart, he could have looked within himself and says, these idols are not going to help me in the day of my trouble. I need God. I want God. I must have God. And he could have gone a searching to the people who were still there as the testimony of God. But he didn't. And he made the wrong choice. And because he made the wrong choice, he turned his country further into the darkness of their idolatry. And the history that we're going to come across as we go through farther in, in Exodus, as we study about Egypt, is going to be a history of a king who destroyed his country and made desolate his country all unnecessarily. Unnecessarily, because he refused. He refused to know about Joseph. He refused to know about the God of Joseph. And he refused the right, and he chose the wrong. And this king was a traitor to his own country because 
he not only knew not Joseph or the God of Joseph, but this king turned his hand against the people of Joseph, which were the people of God, and that brought his country to desolation. And the sad truth about all this was that the knowledge of Jehovah Jesus was in Egypt. And this king and others before him drove out the knowledge of Jehovah Jesus. And so he was the responsible person for what it says in Jonah 2.8 when it says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. This king was the one responsible for turning Egypt to focus on lies, lies that were nothing. What's a lying vanity? Idols that are not God. Idols are described in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. The idols that filled Egypt are the exact description of what we have here in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. They look so impressive, the Sphinx even today. Looks so impressive, looks reliable, but when trouble comes, and a person really needs a God to see him and to be compassionate for what he's going through. As for their idols, they have eyes, but they see not. And when a person is in trouble and so desperate and really needs a God to hear them when they cry out in trouble, reminds me when I was outside the Osaka Hilton in Japan, and there they have a bronze idol of a Buddha. And I was so shocked one day when I came there and I saw this middle-aged woman and she was rubbing her hands over the belly of the Buddha and she was just crying out, Kodesai, 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 please, please, please. And tears were running down her face as she was crying out from the depths of her soul to this piece of bronze and asking it to respond, but it's an idol. And that was in 2010. An idol. As for those idols, crying to them, God says, ears have they, but they hear not. And when a person is in trouble and doesn't know what to do and needs a God to tell them what to do, to give them direction, to help them with a vital decision, as for those idols, God says so clearly, he says, there's no breath in their mouths. There's no breath in their mouths. Nothing will come out. Those are lying vanities. They look like they'll help, but when trouble comes, they can't be relied on. And people today make money, they make fame, they make education, they're idols, and they think, if I just get enough wealth, if I just get enough reputation, if I just get enough learning, then I'll be secure for the future. I'll have help in my trouble. My wealth, my fame, my knowledge will save me when I'm in trouble. But money, fame, education, lying vanities, lying vanities. And God wants us to turn, not to the lying vanities, because they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And what this Pharaoh did in Egypt, when he turned away from the God of Joseph and turned to those idols, he forsook his own mercy, the mercy for his soul, and he caused his people to forsake mercy for their soul as well. And so he goes down into history as a traitor because he misled the leader that misled his people, Egypt, instead of bringing them 
to Jehovah Jesus. We'll continue next time in our study as we look more into this marvelous history that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God, the only God, the true God. Thank you, Lord, that you have eyes and you see. Thank you, Lord, that you have ears and they hear. And thank you, Lord, that you have a mouth and there's breath in your mouth. Lord, there's breath in your mouth that was the breath of life that you breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. There's breath in your mouth to speak to our hearts and we hear you and we live by your words. Thank you, Lord, for being for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, continue to help us as we study in this book. Make it come alive to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 